Suppose, right now, right here, this room was completely full. I mean completely full. People everywhere. Standing, sitting on the ground in front of this platform. Standing in there in the corridor, the back room just full, people at the door. This back room, people at the door. People looking in the windows to try to see inside this room. To try to see and to hear one man, not me, but the man from Galilee, Christ Jesus, who has come to teach and to preach. And even as we saw in that text that we read in Luke chapter 5, and I ask that you turn there again if you would, the room was packed where he was. The place was full where Jesus was teaching. Now here they are, all packed into this place, all just crammed in trying to hear what Jesus says. And he's standing right down in the front here. And all of a sudden, right over Peggy's head, the tiles fall from the ceiling. Some of the insulation that's up there drifts down in the front over here and people are starting to look what what on earth is going on on the roof and then suddenly a man emerges on a stretcher and he he comes down right out of the ceiling and as he's lowered down it becomes apparent to all of us that there's something wrong with him. He's crippled. In fact, he's, he's paralyzed. And he's on this stretcher. And there are guys up there lowering him down. And he winds up right out in front here, right in front of Jesus. Why did those men in this passage do that? What was their reason for bringing their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus? Obviously, they hoped that he would heal him. No doubt that they had heard about Jesus and the mighty miracles that he had been performing. And they, they said, we've, we've got to get our friend to Jesus. We've got to get him before Christ, the Messiah, or this man from Galilee, so that he will heal him and make our friend whole. So let's take him to Jesus. Jesus will heal him. And so they come to the house. They can't get in, but they're determined. So they lower him down in front of Jesus because they really want their friend healed. But that's not what Jesus did. At least not first. Look at the text. Verse 19, But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I know we've looked at this text. 
I know we've discussed this text. And the importance of forgiveness of sins from this text. It's more important than his physical health. More important than anything else that your sins are forgiven. We've seen this from this text. I'll tell you in advance, we're going to go back to this text again. It's one of those key passages that we will refer to. But for today, I want to see something from this text. And I want to ask you from this text, as you see this right here, did Jesus hesitate to forgive this man his sins? Did Jesus take even a moment? The text says, seeing his faith, he said to them, friend, your sins are forgiven. He did not chide them for breaking through the roof. Some believe this was Peter's house, by the way. They did not chide. He did not chide them for breaking through the roof and lowering the man down and interrupting the teaching service. He did not tell him, get out of here. What are you doing? Without hesitation, he said, your sins are forgiven you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I know that we are what is called perhaps a Reformed Baptist Church or a Doctrines of Grace Church. And we hold to the God of the Bible as being God. The sovereign, the powerful, the holy God. The God who is God. Before whom men are but dust wicked and unworthy. We know that the God of the Bible is a God of infinite, pure justice and that He will bring judgment upon the lost and the wicked. He is God and powerful and mighty and holy. Yet, from the Scriptures, we find this God reveals himself to us as merciful, compassionate, and loving, and forgiving. This is where we are going to begin heading in our study. We have been engaged in this series entitled The Fundamentals of Forgiveness. And for the first messages, we have been dealing with the essence of forgiveness, the heart of the matter. Why do we need to be forgiven? And we saw that the source of our need for forgiveness is our own sin. And then we dealt with for weeks the sin which needs to be forgiven. That is a definition from the scriptures of what is sin. And most recently we concluded looking at the whole matter of the start down the road to forgiveness, which includes that guilt produced by our sin when God is dealing with a man. That fear of God produced by our sin when God shows you himself. The remorse produced by our sin, genuine sorrow over offending a holy God, and then 
repentance produced from our sin. A turning from sin and a turning to God. However, with that understood, that we are sinners before a holy God, we want to begin to see that our God, yes, powerful, yes, mighty, yes, holy, supreme judge, is a merciful and forgiving God. Now, I want to look at this from the Scriptures through several areas. And I want to see, first of all, from the Scriptures, the fact that He is shown to be like this throughout the Bible. And we need to really be thankful that He is a God of mercy. Otherwise, we would have no hope. Otherwise, there would be nothing for us to look forward to, only the wrath of God. But now we turn to consider that in our God, there is the existence of forgiveness. We've seen the essence of forgiveness, and we turn today to the existence of forgiveness. There are so many areas to deal with when you start talking about what God has done for you and me to give us forgiveness of our sins. Where do we start? Where did He start? And where does it end? Of course, in the glorious death of Christ upon the cross to pay for our sins. But that's where it winds up. I want to begin today looking at the first major heading under our second broad heading. The first major heading is Christ's alacrity to forgive. What did he say? It's a great word. Christ's alacrity to forgive. You like that word? A-L-A-C-R-I-T-Y. You can look it up. But basically it means he's quick, eager, willing to forgive. Amen. (laughs) Thank God for the rain. (laughs) He is quick, eager, One who is willing to forgive. Alacrity. Christ's alacrity to forgive. That is how God is presented in the Bible. Yes, He's holy, powerful, mighty. The God who we will stand before in judgment. But He is a God who is willing to forgive eager to forgive. I want to explore this together with you from the Word of God, and I want to turn first to see that as eternal God, He is declared this way in Scripture. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Throughout Scripture, we find our God to be the God who pardons, who forgives sin. 
And I have four choice passages from the Old Testament to bring this to our minds. The first one today will occupy us for the entire message this morning, found here in Psalm 103. Follow with me as I read in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. My understanding is that Spurgeon preached on this text over ten times or at least ten times in his ministry. I never have. But I will today. I want for us to see here, first of all, the picture of the God who pardons our iniquities. The picture of the God who pardons our iniquities. David begins by blessing God from his soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why his soul? The soul, as you know, is that part within us. Man is made up of two parts, body and soul. God formed man of the dust of the earth and breathed within him the breath of life and man became a living being. Body and the breath of God, the soul. Now this body that you and I have is mortal. One day it will put on immortality. But today it is mortal. If any of us is to die before the return of Christ, our body would go into the grave and it will decay. Guaranteed. Unless they freeze you or something like that. But otherwise, your body goes into the ground and it does decay. It is mortal. But your soul, your soul, the breath of God is immortal. Once you die, the soul, that immortal soul, goes to the presence of God in glory or to await judgment in Sheol. It is immortal. It will never die. Christian or non-Christian, your soul will never cease to exist. It will exist throughout eternity. So, to the Christian, though, it is that better part, as some say, that will go to the very presence of God. Your inner being, that which spiritually longs for God, pants after God, as David has penned in other psalms. My spirit yearns to be in the presence of of the living God. And so from that better part, that soul, he says, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord is to give 
praise, exaltation, glory be to God from my soul. So from within his being, he says, bless the Lord from all that is within me, he says, bless his holy name. I wonder if any of you know what that's like. Many of you here profess to be Christians and profess to be saved. Do you know what it's like to have a soul that yearns to be pleasing to God? That yearns to praise God and bless God. The thing is, all of us know our sin. All of us are hindered by our sin. So we all feel that battle even that Paul spoke about in Romans 7 where we don't want to do the wicked things that we do. We don't want to sin the way that we sin because our spirit yearns to please God. Do you know what that's like? Do you know what it is to seek to honestly bless God? People, that's what worship is. That's why you come here. That's why you should come here. It's not for fellowship. It's not even for evangelism. Those are byproducts. We come here to worship God. To bless His holy name. This is where it comes. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. I recognize His holiness in all that He is as Jehovah God. Bless His holy name. Now, then, as we look at verse 2, he goes on. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He repeats it, which shows the great importance to him of what he is saying. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And look, and forget none of His benefits. What are the benefits of God? Well, think about David. First of all, I'm sure he's reminding himself, don't ever forget all that God has done for you. David, think about all that God had done for David. You go all the way back to him knowing the mercies of God throughout his life. Many feel that this psalm was written towards the end of David's life, as we read in verse 5, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Many believe that David is writing that about himself, that he's looked back upon the years and that there have been many years of good things that God has done. And you think about those things and you dwell about those things and you become like a young man again full of strength and vigor. You mount up like an eagle who flies forth with power and majesty. Sometimes you watch some of these big birds flying through the sky and you know they're having a good time. That's the thought of David's mind. You mount up like an eagle and you soar with power, vigor, And you feel like like God is just holding you up. 
And so it's like he's looking back on his life and remembering all the blessings. And he says, forget not even one. So remember what uh, David had gone through. And don't forget. Think of some of the things that uh, David had gone through in his life. Think about what happened with uh, Goliath. And how God blessed him with that defeat of that giant. And think of all of those that uh, he had slaughtered over the years and all of the things that he did. All of the things that God had helped David with. Remember, they used to say Saul has killed his thousands and David is tens of thousands. So David's looking back. God has blessed him with so many things. He's helped him in so many ways. Wives, children. But God had blessed him with those things in his life. And he says, forget none of his benefits. Look back on your life. God has been gracious to many of us in many ways. Countless ways. He's protected, cared for, provided, helped, healed. He's done all of these things. And he says, forget none, none of his benefits. Greatest benefit of all is what he goes on to speak of next. And then the lives of many of us. Ah, here's the reason for his high praise. Verse 3, who pardons all your iniquities. He forgives The God of the Bible is shown to be a God who brings multiple benefits and blessings. The greatest of these is forgiveness of your sins. And this is what David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He forgives my sins. Do you realize that if he did not forgive our sins we would have no reason to praise God. For if He did not forgive our sins, all we would face is doom. His wrath. If He did not forgive sins, and you're one who doesn't believe in God, what do you have to look forward to after this life? Absolutely nothing. Oblivion. Cease to exist forever. So if he did not forgive sins, we either go to hell or we don't exist anymore for there's no God anyway. But if he does not forgive our sins and we are here and we want to praise him, we could not. Because he is a holy God. And a holy God cannot behold the sin of man. And so if he did not forgive sins, you would not even be able to come to his presence, to pray to him and to praise him, to glorify him, to bless his holy name. If he did not forgive your sins, you could not bless his holy name. Because he wouldn't accept it. You can't go to him. It is an amazing thing to think that you and I can go into the presence of the living God to pray. And the only way that you can do that is because your sins are forgiven. And that the blood of Christ covers you 
and enables you to come into the presence of God and offer your prayers. It's an amazing thing that he accepts you. That's what the whole meaning of that curtain being torn from top to bottom in the Holy of Holies when Jesus died on the cross. That's what it meant. We now have access to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of God, because of the shed blood of Christ. But if he didn't do that, you couldn't go. You couldn't praise God, bless God, pray to God, because you'd be too sinful to do so. And so here, David gives him the highest praise. For he knows his iniquities have been forgiven. I mentioned a moment ago the benefits and the blessings, but David also knew his iniquities. Think about it. Think of some of the things that David had done. First thing, of course, that comes to everybody's mind is what he did with Bathsheba. You know, it was one thing that he committed adultery. But he murdered her husband, Uriah. David knew what it meant to have sins forgiven. He was a murderer. He had done things in his life that he knew displeased God. And yet God still says he was a man after his own heart. Because of things like this where he says, oh, God, forgive me of my sins. And portrays God as a God who pardons all your iniquities. Though David many times provoked God, he here praises God for forgiving all his sins. All his sins. He doesn't Miss one. He leaves none unforgiven in the life of those who fear him, of those whom he forgives. I say to you people that when you understand this, you will say what David said. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's forgiven my iniquities and all my iniquities all my sins all my shortcomings all those things I do every day that dishonor him God forgives them all all what joy what peace that brings to a believer's heart far greater than wealth and material blessing is the peace and the joy of knowing sins forgiven and that you have eternity with God guaranteed by Christ, guaranteed by God because your sins are forgiven. Far greater than wealth And even as we saw in that opening passage in Luke where Jesus forgave that paralytic his sins far greater even than health. Although if you look in the passage right here, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. 
Why do we pray that God would heal someone or help someone to get well? Why do we pray even today for several in our congregation who are sick? Because if you've ever been healed from anything, it's by the grace of God. God heals all our diseases. That doesn't mean that in some cases he uses such things as cancer or disease to usher you into his very presence for all eternity. As one put it, it is the door that sometimes God opens to bring his people to himself. Yes, that does happen, and we have no guarantees of healing from diseases, and yet, any time you are healed, it is by the very grace of God. And so we bless and praise Him for doing so. This is what David is saying. All that I have comes from you. The greatest thing of all, though, is that you've pardoned my sin. Pardoned my sin. And healed me even from sin. But there's more. Verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit. We can look at that and we see that terminology. And it's almost a common vernacular today when people speak about, you know, being in the pit. That it's like you've hit bottom. It's a great term though in the scriptures. Yes, you can think of it as hitting the bottom in your life, the low point. In every way, you're just downcast and you're at the very dregs of your existence. I'm in the pits, we say. But that's not really what he's talking about. In the Hebrew, the word primarily has the thought of the grave or hell. In other words, it's God's judgment, His eternal destruction. And David is saying, you redeemed me from hell. You redeemed me from your judgment. And how does God do that? Who pardons all your iniquities and redeems you from the pit, from hell, from the judgment of God. This is a great way to look at what God does when He forgives you your sins. Delivers you, redeems you from the pit. Redeems you from hell. Here's a, uh, another great statement that he follows it with, and it is an amazing statement who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Not only does He redeem you, but He crowns you. Just stop there for a minute. Think of that. God crowns you. It is us who would crown God. And in many churches today, they don't even do that. They don't want Him as Lord. They don't crown Him as Lord. All they want is the crown for themselves. But in the life of a real redeemed believer, He is redeemed from the pit 
because God has pardoned his iniquities and he realizes that God has crowned him. The Hebrew word means, really, it it comes from the, the concept of to surround, to surround you. Look, if you would, please, to Psalm 5. It has the connotation of encompassing you about. Psalm 5, just for a moment, look to the very end of it. Verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You, and here's our word, surround him with favor as with a shield. That's the same word. Surround him with favor as with a shield. It's like he's crowning you as he's encompassing you about and protecting you. Protecting you with what? Protecting you by what? Look back to our text. Who crowns you with loving kindness. He encompasses you about. He surrounds you. He protects you with loving kindness. Kindness. Amazing. It is the graciousness of God. It is the goodness of God. It is the kindness of God, he says, that surrounds you, that crowns you. And that he says, it is with his loving kindness and his compassion, the very mercy of of God, the mercy of God, crowning you, encompassing you. I don't know about you, but I can barely comprehend the graciousness of God to me. I am too unworthy. How can God be gracious to me? And yet, He is pictured as a God who forgives my sins and crowns me with His loving kindness and His compassion. People, that that is alacrity. That is a God who is eager and quick and desirous and willing to forgive wicked sinners. And once he has forgiven them, he encompasses them about with his loving kindness and his compassion. Unworthy sinners who once cursed him to his face, forgiven, pardoned, and blessed by God. This is the God of the Scriptures. This is the God of of the Bible, the almighty, the all-powerful, the wonderful God of the Bible. I cannot leave this text without looking over the page. Verse 8, 
The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Where does David get that? Look in your Bibles to Exodus, Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. I know that sometimes it may seem that we tend to focus upon God as judge and the the sinfulness and the wickedness of the day in which we live. I know that sometimes it is that way because so few people even mention it today. Because so few churches ever even tell people that they're sinners. They never talk about the judgment of God. So we, I don't want to go too far in the extreme. I don't want the pendulum to swing too far one way or the other, but we do tend to point that out because so seldom is it done. But I want to make sure that we understand the balance. Yes, God is a God of justice. And yes, God is a God of judgment. But how does God declare himself to be? And you will see right in this text that balance. Moses is in the cleft of the rock. We sang that hymn today. Moses is in the cleft of the rock. And the Lord, verse 5, descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. You remember the passage? Moses said, I want to see you, God. I want to see you. So he puts him in the cleft of the rock, and as it were, he puts his hand in front of him as he walks by, as he goes by. How does Moses describe how God looked? Not a word. He never describes how God looks. He describes what God said and who God is. And He is a God who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquities, transgressions, and sin. That's the God of the Bible. And here's the balance. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. There's a balance. Praise God. There's a balance. If you did not know that God was a God of judgment, if you did not know there was a hell, why would you flee from it to Christ? It is the backdrop of our salvation. We are saved from the judgment of God. And thankfully, we are saved because He is a God who is compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. What a great God is ours. Now you go back to our text In Psalm 103, David is quoting, as it were, 
Our Lord, as He says, He's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Verse 9, He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarding, uh, rewarded us according to our iniquities. Thank God! Because if He dealt with us according to our sins and rewarded us according to our iniquities, what would we get? Hell. Punishment. Because that's what we deserve. He has not dealt with us according to our sins and our iniquities. Thankfully, He has not given us what we deserve. It would be wrath, but rather He deals with us in mercy. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. Loving kindness! His mercy. So great is the mercy of our God that He forgives you your iniquities. So great is the mercy of our God that He pardons our sins. He deals with us in love because if He dealt with us in justice, we would be doomed. Anyone who is ever saved is saved by the mercy of God. Just a little aside. In our Sunday school lesson, remember, in the Old Testament, people are saved by keeping the law. Does that look like what David's talking about here? Thank you, God, for your mercy and your compassion. Thank you that you did not deal with me according to justice because I deserve only hell. Anyone who is ever saved in the history of the world is saved by the mercy and compassion of God. Mercy, not justice. Notice that he says here, as far as the heavens are above the earth. That's about as far as you can go. Because how far up can you go? Well, they just had this rocket ship that was launched from Florida 10 years ago. And it just went by Pluto. And it's already a couple of million miles past Pluto. And that was just last week. And it's still going. Well, how far away is that? That's just our solar system. It's got a long way to go. Because God has stretched out the heavens. And that's pretty high. So what David is saying, that this is amazing. This is beyond comprehension. That He does not deal with us according to our sins, but rather He deals with us according to loving kindness. And then he says this in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. He's removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. Why does he say that? Well, go north. Right? North. Go north. Just keep going north. Where do you get? 
you get to what is called the North Pole, the top of the earth. Go south. Keep going south. Where do you get to? You get to the South Pole, the Antarctic, the bottom of the earth. But go east. And where do you go? Just keep going. Go west. And after you cross the Gulf of Mexico over here, where do you go? You just keep going. You can never get west. Because wherever you are, there's always more west. You can never get east. Because wherever you go, there's always more east. And so in other words, he's saying God takes our iniquities and puts them in a place that you can never get to. It's gone It's disposed of as far as the east is from the west. In other words, he puts them away completely. He removes our transgressions from us. That's amazing. I'm such an unworthy sinner. Why would God do that? Why would he have that mercy and compassion on me? I don't deserve it. Verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You see, in each of these there's a qualifier. Those who fear him. Those who love him. Those who know him. But he has compassion on you like a father has compassion on his children. I look over here and I see this young man surrounded by his children. And I've known this man for many years. And I know the love that he has for his kids. I see this young man here and although his little girl isn't with him today, I know the love that he has for his daughter. And I know that in my life, the love that I have for my children. And even when they break the rules, even when they sin, it doesn't matter. You still love them. And some of you have children that aren't saved and your hearts ache for them. Break for them. Why? Because you love them. And you have compassion on them. And you want the best for them. That's the illustration of our God. He loves you like a father loves his children. That's why he pardons your sins. That's why he does away with them and they're covered completely. Now they do have to be dealt with and we'll get to that. But ultimately, They are dealt with because he loves you even as a father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him for he himself knows our frame where he is mindful that we are but dust. Remember when we began looking at this text? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Two parts. Dust and the breath of life. God knows you. He knows that you're but dust. The best of men are men at best. We're dust. And he knows that because he made you. 
body and soul. And he knows the battles you go through against sin. He knows our frame. We're but dust. And he still has compassion on us. Forgives us for our, for, of our sins. Covers them with the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So that we can bless the Lord. So that we can praise the Lord. So that we can pray to the Lord. So that we can worship the Lord. He has compassion on us as his children. And as a man would love his children to be with him, God loves his children to be with him this way. What a great God. What a great passage from David's pen, from the word of God. But I go back and I want to pick this up in verse 3 and 4. Notice he says, Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Does he do that for you? Do you know Sins forgiven. Do you know the compassion of this God in your life? Today! Now. Are you one who knows the compassion of God as a father loves his children? Are you confident of sins forgiven that you will spend eternity with him? Be honest! Are your sins Pardoned, And if not, be assured on the word of God that this is a compassionate God. Tell him you want to be forgiven and he will have mercy on you. This is our first stop. And already we see that the Bible depicts the God that we worship as a forgiving God. Praise His holy name. Let's pray.